Hello and welcome to Press Church. I'm Krista Hoff. We have our e-bulletin available online with links to our Connect form and website. You can access this by opening the camera app on your iPhone or Android device and pointing it at the QR code on the screen. If you're new with us today, we are so glad you've joined us. Please connect with us by going to presschurch.tv or by snapping the QR code with your device and clicking on the I'm new link. This is not a commitment to anything, but an opportunity for us to support you and thank you for joining us. Each Monday night from 6 to 8.15 p.m., we partner with the Dream Center in Delaware to deliver groceries to families in need. We build relationships with these families and grow in our own faith as we serve others. You can volunteer once or twice a month or even weekly. To find out how you can participate, please contact Pastor Jason at jason.allison at presschurch.tv. If you'd like to join Press Church in making a difference in this community, there are four ways you can support us financially. If you're visiting a campus in person, there's a box at the back exit of the worship center where you can drop your support as you leave. If you would prefer to send a check, please send it to 8794 Big Bear Avenue, Powell, Ohio, 43065. The easiest way to give is by visiting our website or texting any amount to the number 84321. Let's celebrate everything God has given us and support the community both locally and globally. Now let's prepare to engage what God has for us today. She said, I want a love that's just so perfect. When I wake up, I don't deserve it. I want a love that gives me freedom. Give it all up just to finally meet him. I know I've got God on my side. Give him the night, I wanna ride But don't know where to begin I guess deeper than I know I wanna love this just like Jesus Well, good morning, everybody. I'm so glad that you would come out. Uh, for those of you in the room, thank you for coming out on a beautiful June Sunday, a uh, beautiful weekend. For those of you joining us online, thank you so much uh, for joining us, for being part of this community that we call Press Church. Uh, my name is Jason Allison. I'm the pastor of Spiritual Formation. And uh, Sean, this morning, is sitting on a beach somewhere, and so uh, you're stuck with me. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I, we, we're glad that his family gets uh, a little bit of time away with uh, their family, and so we're, we're anxiously awaiting them to return. I'm supposed to say that, like if he's watching, you know how that is. Uh, we are going to continue our series, though. We, we started it uh, last week. Sean talked about this concept of uncomfortable love. And uh, it, it's, it's something, you know, you think, oh, well, it's, it's June, so pretty much everyone's going to be on vacation, so let's talk about something controversial, right? No, that's not at all what we were trying to do. Uh, It's amazing that we just get this opportunity to talk about what is it like to love like Jesus, and and I don't know about you, but I, you know, I grew up in the late 70s, early 80s. That's when I was really starting to listen to music and stuff, and then I I started, you know, enjoying things into high school and college, and in 1993, which I was almost done with college by then, but in 1993, there was an artist named Meatloaf. Okay, okay, good. I got some fellow Gen Xers in here. Uh, we, um, he, he had a line, had a song actually called, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Exactly. Yes, thank you. See, Billy, I knew our bass player would come through, okay? That's... 
Yeah, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. And it made, really made me ask you the, ask the question, you know, what won't you do for love? Now, it sounds romantic, right? And I mean, nothing about meatloaf is that romantic if you really want to get, you know, honest here. But, but when we think about this idea of love, when we think about this idea of, oh, I would do anything for you, right? And, and we think about it in terms of, you know, it's romantic and I'd sacrifice. And there are movies made about this. There are obviously songs written about this. There, there are all these, you know, wonderful things about I would do anything. I would sacrifice, you know, I would walk 500 miles, right? <laughs> Exactly. Um, I, I was just wondering, though, as a Christian, you know, we, we see that love has this, this romantic inclination, and we see it celebrated, and that's wonderful, okay? That, that's really great. But we also understand that love, as a follower of Jesus, involves more than just the romance, right? It, it involves actually caring about the other person, about caring about, caring about the needs <clears throat> and the betterment of another person other than us. Sometimes that means we have to move beyond our comfort zone in order to love someone, in order to show love for someone. And so sometimes we have to get uncomfortable in order to love the way Jesus did. And so I want to ask that question, you know, as a follower of Jesus, how do you establish the limits of who and how you love? As a follower of Jesus, what won't you do for love? Now we can talk about healthy boundaries, okay? And I'm all for that. I'm not talking about, you know, that, that weird love where you just, everyone walks all over you and you aren't your own person. You just, you know, no, no, I'm talking about healthy love that says, I am going to erase my concept of the limits of what it means to love someone or who I should show love for. And I want to stretch that. And so this morning, that's what I want to do for a few minutes, is I, I want to stretch our concept of what it means to love the people around us. And so to begin our discussion, I thought, you know, Sean's gone, so let's get uncomfortably political. <laughs> you know, the last few years, let's be honest, have been extremely difficult and divisive uh, around the world, but especially, you know, in our context in, in, in America. And, and I would say, and I think I've said this before here, that the year 2020 was an apocalyptic year. And what I mean by that is not it was the end of the world, okay? The word apocalypse literally means unveiling or revealing. And I think the year 2020, with everything that came with it, really unveiled a lot about us as people, as Americans, as humans. Because here's the thing. The uncertainty that we experienced, it, it exposed our values, because that's what, that's what uncertainty does. Uncertainty exposes your values. It shows you what matters most. When you don't know exactly what's happening all around you, you start to demonstrate, but this is what I can hold on to. This is what I think is most important. See, with the political uncertainty, the social unrest, 
the health risks that we didn't understand yet that were on a global scale, not just a local scale. It elevated our levels of uncertainty to levels that we haven't seen in our generation. And I think it exposed a lot. I think one of the most telling revelations to me in this is that it demonstrated that Americans, above all else, value freedom, value liberty, value protecting their rights. And, and that's, I don't mean that in a negative or positive way. I just think it exposed that, that that's a value that Americans have. We, we want the ability to call the shots. Right? We want the ability to be in charge, to, to dictate what is right and what is wrong in the world around us, to be able to have a say in that, to, to be able to say, I want the freedom to, to say, this is my right, this is what I deserve, this is who I am, and you have to respect that. We want to be the GOAT, the greatest of all time. We want to be the winners, because the winners are the ones who get to dictate the rules, right? I'm afraid, though, that in that process, that many of us, and maybe most of us in the church in America, have taken on that value in the same way that most Americans have it. And, and I want you to know right up front, I'm just as guilty as anyone else at this, okay? I'm preaching this to myself as much as I am to you. So I'm, I'm thinking about this, and, and I realize, you know, if the church is beginning to really think about what are my rights, what are my liberties, what do I have freedom to do, and that becomes a priority, you know, that didn't happen overnight. It's not like in 2020 something changed or everything changed or we shifted. I think this is a shift that has been happening for decades. Slowly. But we, we started to, to think about things instead of, you know, the the. the the church shifted its objective over the last few decades from winning the lost to winning the culture war. And those are two very different objectives. And, and both are very politicized, and that's fine. We, we can talk about that another time. But the bottom line is the church became obsessed with winning the culture war because we wanted to be able to tell everyone this is right and this is wrong, and we wanted them to listen to us. And so we shifted from our desire, our objective, our mission to win the lost to winning the culture war. And we did it in terms like, well, if we win the culture war, then we can win the lost. But our primary objective became winning. In 2020, we had an opportunity. And I say we, the church. I mean, Press Church didn't launch until October of 2020. But we had an opportunity to demonstrate to the world what God's love looks like in a very practical way. As, as Paul put it in, in Philippians 2, we have the opportunity to shine like stars. And, and yet we grumbled and we complained and we argued and we sought to win power so that we could have our way even though it seems it sacrificed love. I would do anything for love, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give up my rights or my freedom. 
I'm not going to give up my right to treat someone I disagree with however I want to treat them. I won't lose my freedom for the sake of love. And when we look at the early church, I really get convicted by that. Because when I look at the early church, they defined love, and, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, they defined love as what Jesus did. Right? It wasn't about believing the right things. It wasn't about having this you know, correct doctrine. They said to love others, we should do what Jesus did. Love is an action. It's what we're doing. It's not a feeling. It's not you know, what I say I think about someone. It's what I do. That's where love comes in. Uh, Jesus put it this way in John chapter 15. He says, this is my commandment. Love each other, get this, the same way I have loved you. He doesn't say love each other, you know, by, by being nice or, or by thinking nice thoughts, but love each other the way that I have loved you. And then he says, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. I mean, John 13, just, just for context, okay, Jesus is saying this to his disciples in the upper room the night before he was murdered, betrayed by one sitting at the table when he said it. He was arrested. He was tried completely, completely a kangaroo court. Everything about it was illegal. And he was turned over. He was beaten. He was stripped. He was hung on a cross. This, and he knew it was coming. And the night before this all went down, this is what he tells his disciples. He says, love each other the way I've loved you. At the beginning of that discourse with them, he starts out by saying, the way you love each other in John 13, the way you love each other, that's the way that the world will know that you are my followers. By the way you love each other, by the way you treat each other. So let me ask you a question that I've had to ask myself a lot. If you identify as a Republican, how would the way that you have loved your Christian brothers and sisters who identify as Democrats show people outside of the church that you are a follower of Jesus? And if you identify as a Democrat, how has the way you have loved your brothers and sisters in the church who identify as Republicans demonstrated to the world outside of us that we are followers of Jesus and that we love the way Jesus loved? See, the more we argue over political ideologies and culture war things, the more we lose credibility with those outside the church. See, here's the thing. You can't love someone that you're trying to conquer. I mean, think about that for a minute. If I'm trying to win, to beat you, I can't love you. When winning our freedom, when maintaining my rights becomes the highest value, then it creates opponents and adversaries. I... I know I'm making this a little uncomfortable. I got nice and quiet in here. But I want you to hear me say again, I'm talking about me as well. This is not 
at you. This is us. This is we. We need to think about this. We need to engage this question. We need to wrestle with this. You see, I want us to challenge our default thinking and our default way of living to see if we are actually loving people the way Jesus loved people. And sometimes you have to, you have to step back if you're going to really understand what your default settings are, right? Because you just naturally do things. You don't think about it. You just do it. And sometimes you need to shake it up a bit to step back and say, wait a minute, maybe, maybe I need to look at that. John chapter 6, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 6, Jesus makes some pretty bold statements. He says, but to you, and this is kind of long, so just roll with me, okay? But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to take them back. I don't remember that part. I think I skipped that part whenever I read it. Uh, do to others as you would like them do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get any credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. You will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. Those are kind of cutting words, right? I mean, I don't like them. It's, it's like I want to raise my hand and say, Jesus, but, 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 but wait, what about... <laughs> What about this, or this person, or this thing, or, or this idea, or these people? You don't understand, if I do that, if I give in there, then you know what? I'm never going to get that ground back. We're never going to be able to be, you know, in charge. We're never going to make any gains. We're going to lose footing. I don't like that. Let those words just sink in for a minute. Love those who are unthankful, ungrateful, and wicked. And remember, how did the early church define love? By what Jesus did. And what did Jesus do? He cared about people. If we look back at, going back to Luke, uh, 13, um, John 13, where Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples, and he knows that terrible things are about to happen. He knows that one of the ones sitting at the table is going to betray him. He knows that every other person sitting there is going to run away. They aren't going to stick with him. Peter, he knows, one of his closest disciples, he knows that he is going to deny he even knows Jesus in the next 12 hours. And yet, what does Jesus do to open this meal together? It says he takes off his outer robe, he grabs a wash basin and a towel, and he washes their feet. Nasty. Because these guys were probably in their late teens. 
And can you imagine teenage boys' feet when they have, like, sandals on and they walk around in the dirt all day? And he washed them. Andy Stanley wrote this line, if someone's political views make their feet too dirty for you to wash, then you can be sure your politics are informing and deforming your faith. Ouch. Whose feet are too dirty for me to wash? What people do I not want to serve because I don't like them? Remember, the title of the series is Uncomfortable Love, okay? So we're going there. <laughs> what does it look like to love even when it stretches me, when it makes me feel uncomfortable, when, when I don't agree with the people? You see, when the early church started trying to figure out how to live within the culture that they found themselves... They took Jesus' directive, love, as their strategic plan. Right? They didn't have a strategic plan over the next 300 years to overtake the Roman culture and to become the, one, the, you know, the group of people who are in charge and getting to dictate the rules. You know what their strategic plan was? Love. Love people. Show them what Jesus' love looks like. Care about them. Serve them. Love each other. Love your enemies. Love sinners. Love the neglected. Love slaves. Love business owners. Love people who own slaves. Love those who worship and live differently than us. You know what one of the main things that the early church did that completely revolutionized the way that the world saw them? They gave dignity and voice to those who were considered less than. Let me give you a quick example. If you have your Bible with your Bible app, uh, turn, turn to Romans 16. Before I read it, I, I want you, well, it, it's, let me just read it and then I'll explain it. Okay, this is a letter from Paul to the church in Rome. Now, Rome was the seat of all power at that time, right? That's where the Caesar was. That's where the government was. That's dictated everything. And there was a band of believers in Rome. And so he wrote this letter to them, and it's a long letter. I mean, this is Romans 16. This is the very end. Uh, and this entire letter is about, hey, I want you to understand, this is what it means to share God's love. This is what it means to be part of God's family. It's about unity. It's about how do we operate together? Because in Rome, there were Gentiles and there were Jews, and they were trying to get together and try to be, uh, you know, a church in the same building. And they, they were trying to understand this while the Roman government at times would, you know, say, oh, you know why things aren't going well right now? It's the Jews' fault. And the Jews were often saying, you know, if you really want to follow Jesus, you really ought to become a Jew. And there were arguments about this, and they were trying to figure all this out. And Paul says, listen, I want you to hear this. You are all sinners, Jews and Gentiles. He says, there are none righteous, no, not one. And he says, but let me tell you how to get along so that you can understand what God's love is really like. Because God didn't come and send Jesus to do this just to make you something better than you already were. He came to make you a new creation. And that means that we can be together and love each other, even though we're different. And that unity that we have can become a testimony to the world around us. And so in, at the end of this letter, 
It's this, uh, this two verses, 22 and 23, says, I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, send you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Cordus send you their greetings. Okay, let me break that down real quick. So Tertius says, you know, I wrote down this letter. He was, it's called an amanuensis. He was the person who received the dictation, right? Paul would, would talk, and, and, and someone would write down what he was saying. Usually that was done by a slave. Usually it was done by someone who was not considered very important. All they did was, you know, they were in essence like a computer, a machine. They weren't seen as a person. They were a machine. And yet, for Paul to allow the computer to say, hey, I typed this out, and I just want to say, hey, that was to give dignity to the slave. And you know how I know he was a slave? The name Tertius. Do you know what that means? Which, why would you? It's not a word we use all the time. It literally means three. Number three. He was number three. He wasn't, you know, Bob. Oh, yeah, you were the third child, so you're uh, number three. (laughs) You're a slave. You don't really need a name. It doesn't matter. You're number three. And yet he gets to write in this a letter that gets into the Bible, okay? This is pretty big. He gets to say, hey, <laughs> I wrote this. And, and then it talks about, you know, Gaius and Erastus. Erastus, the director of city public works. Oh, my goodness. I mean, this is a high-ranking official. And Cordus. Do you know what Cordus means? Number four. <laughs> so he literally lists number four and a city director as both saying, hey, <laughs> he gives dignity. The church gave dignity to those who didn't have it. The church said, I want you to understand that I don't care what your station in life is. I don't care who you are. You have value because you are a member of God's family. Because God created you and God gives you value. This is why we say over and over and over here, we want to help you find your identity in Christ because that means it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how low or how high you think you are in in the social network of this world. You are important because you are a beloved child of God. Paul goes even further. He takes, takes it a step further and he says, I would give up any of my liberty so that I can share the good news with whomever I find myself. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. We wrestled with this Tuesday night at the men's group. It was uncomfortable. I made myself a slave. I gave up my Freedom, if that's what it takes to win some to Christ. And this verse forces me to ask myself, what are things that maybe I won't sacrifice for love? So the last couple of minutes, let me just share a couple of things. And, and these are conversation starters. 
Okay, this isn't the end. This isn't like a checklist for you to figure out. This is a conversation starter for you to talk about. Go to lunch, talk about it. What does this mean? Where do I go with this? How do I wrestle with this? First thing that I know I have to wrestle with, would I sacrifice this for love, is my resources. It's pretty straightforward and boring, right? What am I willing to give up for love? For the love of the people who aren't in this room yet, because they need to hear about Jesus too. For the love of the people who live next to you, who live around you, who work beside you, what, what, what resources am I willing to give up and not hold on to tightly so that they can understand, they can experience what God's love looks like in a practical, tangible way? I mean, I, I earned it. It's my money. I can do what I want with it. It's my time. I don't want to give that up. I mean, it would be bad stewardship, right, for me to give money to those people because see what they'll do with it. Again, I'm not trying to give you a prescription. I want you to wrestle with that. There isn't an answer to that, right? I can't tell you this is exactly what you should do every single time. But I want you to wrestle with what, what does love look like in this situation? Whatever this situation is for you. Maybe it's a neighbor that needs help. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a person on the street you've never met. What does it look like to sacrifice my resources for that, to give up something? I mean, Jesus, Philippians 2, Paul says, hey, listen, this is what it means. Jesus emptied himself completely of all his divinity, like all his, the rights of a divine person, so that he could become one of us. That's what he did for us. A second thing that I, I have to ask, will I sacrifice, is my rightness. Not my righteousness, my rightness. I like to be right. I really do. And I like for everyone else to say, yep, he's right. I'm a people pleaser. I know it. I mean, don't, don't sinners need to know that they're wrong? Don't I need to tell them you're wrong? You should change. You need to change. You've got to change. Don't I need to call out their, their sin and say, you should repent? I, I, someone who I am an acquaintance of, I don't really know them, posted something this past week on Facebook. And I know that's a rabbit hole in and of itself, so we won't go there. But uh, it, it, was, it was calling out Pride Month. And he was saying, oh, you know, pride goes before a fall. I'm like, you're, first, you're totally missing the point. But second of all, you're just doing that to be rude. You're just doing that to, to be obnoxious. And, and even said at one point, well, someone's got to call him out on it. Really? Why do you get to? What, what make, gives you the right? Who have you loved so much that you could actually have that conversation with? Much less post it as the thing for everyone just to see and then move on. Am I willing to say, I don't know that I'm always right, but I'm going to love you anyway. I'm going to walk with you, and I'm going to give up my right to always be right so that I can at least have a relationship with you. I, I am finding that too often my need to be right will trump my love for others. Because there are times that I can either be right or I can be loving, but I can't always be both. And pretty much more often than not, I lean towards being right. And 
I need to change that. Third thing, this is the end. My reputation. Let's put it this way. You're scrolling through Facebook, and you happen to see a picture that I'm tag tagged in. It's by a friend of mine. And, you know, in a couple weeks, uh, down in Columbus, they have a thing called ComFest. It's a community festival. It's supposed to be a celebration of community, et cetera. And generally, because it's done in, in the month of June, uh, there's a lot of pride elements that go with it, and the LGBT, LGBTQ community uh, ends up you know, being, being part of it and celebrating. And so what if you got a picture of me hanging out with some of my friends who will be there? How would you react to that? What would that do to my reputation in your eyes? You see this picture and the people that you see around me obviously aren't in this room right now. <laughs> they look very different. How would that impact you? And I can tell you, there was a time, not here, not at press, there was a time where that picture, when I was working for a church, would have gotten me fired. Because I have to be right. I have a reputation to uphold. And yet, when I think of Jesus, he would have been right there. Loving people. Caring about them. Not telling them what they're supposed to do. Not telling them all this right and wrong, but saying, I love you. You will see what life should be like. You will see because you experience the love that your creator has for you. And then you can evolve into whatever it is that God is calling you to be. That's the point is not that you are right or that you are doing it my way. The point is that you are experiencing God's love. I mean, what if you saw this picture and you asked me and you said, well, were you trying to convert them? No, I was trying to love them. I wasn't making a stand, I was standing in love. How would that affect my reputation? Am I willing to sacrifice my reputation so that my friends who would be there can experience God's love in a way that they couldn't experience if I didn't? What do you think Jesus would do down at Comfest? Is there a difference between the way Jesus would interact with the people there and the way the church interacts with people there? What are we afraid of? What are we afraid of losing by loving? Jesus gave us this command. He said, love, love. Don't worry about comfort. Don't worry about being right. Don't worry about your reputation. Don't worry about holding on to things, just love. Show people what my love looks like. Care about them. Spend time with them, love them the way I did. And what did Jesus do? He hung out with sinners and tax collectors, with swindlers. He hung out with people that would kill our reputation. I wrestle with this question every day. I don't have a good answer yet. But I know I need to work on it.
I think it's time for us, the church, to become the light, the salt that Jesus called us to be and to love uncomfortably, stretching ourselves to love people who maybe we, we don't agree with, to love people who are different than us, not because we want to change them, but because we want them to experience God's love, because we want them to experience what we've experienced. And if God changes them, great. If he doesn't, great. I don't care. The point is, am I being a conduit of God's love in that moment? That's what we're called to do. Not to win the culture war, but to win the lost. And we do it with love. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. But maybe I need to. Maybe we need to. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love us like we don't deserve. You made yourself uncomfortable so that you could show us how much you love us. And God, we, we don't have all the answers and we haven't figured it all out and we don't know every single detail of what has to happen next. And every scenario is different because the whole point is to love and to seek wisdom in the way we love. God, I pray that this church, this community of people become such a beacon in this town that everyone looks around and says, you know, we don't know exactly everything, what they think about this, that, and the other, but we know if you go there, you will experience God's love in a really overwhelming, amazing way. As a matter of fact, you don't even have to go there because they're out in the community loving in tangible, practical ways. We know we're cared for because Press Church exists. So God, I ask you to move in and through us. Show us what it is today in this culture, in this moment, to love the way you would have us. We will do anything you call us to do for love. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Uh, at the end of this song, uh, there'll be some people in the back. If you